in our text that we noticed just a moment ago, we find such a wonderful invitation that was extended by Jesus Christ himself. For as Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, today we find great comfort and we find great hope in the words that Jesus expressed so long ago. For it is in these words that we find rest and we find relief. We find rest and relief from our burdens and our cares in this life. In Jesus Christ, we find freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom from all of the burdens that would weigh us down and trouble us from day to day. Jesus Christ is the one that sets us free. And he does so by giving us a new dignity, a new destiny, and finally, he gives us a new direction for our lives. You know, the reason that many of us feel burdened and heavy laden is because we spend, as it were, far too much time swimming against the current. We have our priorities out of sorts, and because of that, we very sadly unnecessarily complicate our lives. To illustrate this point, I understand that of all of the tools that a lion tamer can take into a lion's cage, believe it or not, and this is considering the fact that a lion tamer oftentimes will have a whip in one hand and even a firearm on his hip, that of all of the tools that he might take into that cage, the most important thing in his possession is a small stool. Well, I'm told by the experts that are lion tamers and understand that concept, which I do not, that that lion tamer can, can grab that stool by its back and thrust those four legs toward a charging wild animal. And when he does so, that animal tries to focus on all four of those legs at the same time, and I am told, as a result, he becomes confused. He even becomes quite paralyzed, somewhat tame, and docile. The reason for that is his attention has become fragmented. I am convinced today that the secret of successful living is to seek after that one thing. I don't stand before you today saying that we cannot have hobbies, that we cannot have interests, that we cannot have a variety of things that we do in our life. Surely there's nothing wrong with having a variety of things that we do. It kind of makes us a well-rounded person. It makes us of greater value to the ones that we love and the ones that we touch and the ones that we come in contact with from day to day. What I am saying is there can only be one number one. Man finds himself in great turmoil when he tries to focus on more than one number one. That one thing in our life, of course, is none other than seeking after the kingdom of God. Many of us have our lives too complicated, too fragmented. We all need to yield ourselves, though, to Jesus Christ and let Him establish what our priorities should be, that we may take care of the really important things in life and leave the less important things where they belong and that is at the edges or outskirts 
of our lives. Yes, in Jesus Christ, there is ultimate freedom. It's not that we will never again have problems in this life. Please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying that when a person comes to Jesus and obeys Jesus and obeys the gospel and lives their life in accordance with God's will through God's word, which is God's plan. I am not saying that everyone is going to have an easy life as we journey in the flesh. I'm not saying that at all. Because even though a man wrote a book on the subject, he did not invent the concept, and that is this, that there are wonderful people that are living right now that are seeking after that which is true and right and righteous and just, and yet horrible things have happened to them. Yes, indeed, sometimes bad things happen to good people. The point is this, though. If Jesus is at the forefront of our thinking and he is the one that's to guide us in our life, if we find rest and freedom and hope and relief in Jesus, the point is this. We will never look at those challenges and those problems the same way ever again. Those problems that seem so insurmountable, that seem greater than we can possibly fathom and possibly bear. When we put our trust in the Lord and all that's entailed in doing so, we will never view the challenges in our life the same ever again. So when Jesus extended that invitation, we ask ourselves this morning, to whom was Jesus talking to? Who is going to have this wonderful invitation? What did Jesus extend? What was he saying and who was going to receive this invitation? Well, from the very words of Jesus, he said, it is to all those that labor and are heavy laden. Those that are burdened in this life and burdened in the burden of sin. Of all the things that I can possibly talk about, though, why would I choose to speak on something or refer to something in this particular point in our sermon today that is unpleasant like sin? I understand there are far more pleasant things, far more comforting things, far more pleasurable things that I might speak on as I preach this sermon this morning. But let me just say this, Jesus extended this wonderful invitation so long ago to all those that are burdened in sin. And you know, I, I find that there's great comfort in that because all are burdened in sin. Re the reason that it's so important for us to understand that concept is simply this, that of all the things that we will do in our life and all of the circumstances that come our way, all the decisions that we make and so on and so forth, there's only one thing and only one thing that'll keep a man out of heaven and that is sin. Sin is a burden that separates one from God. Hear the words of the prophet of old in Isaiah chapter 59 now and beginning in verse 1. Where the Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But notice, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. You see, sin is a burden that will separate man from God. But you know, even in this life, even while we're living, and even though we're talking about this life and not the life after this one of the hope of heaven, where sin will keep a man out of 
heaven. What about in this life? Sin has terrible side effects. It really does. We find rest and freedom from that in Jesus Christ because of the side effects of sin. One side effect of sin in this life is this. That a person that's living their life burdened in that condition, he lacks inner peace. In Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 22, the Bible says, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Instead of inner peace, the sinner is burdened with anxiety. He is burdened oftentimes with depression. He is burdened with fear and even doubt. And you know, rightfully so, because we understand as we view the ultimate consequence, and that is spiritual death where a man is separated from the Almighty God for all eternity. Yes, indeed, it is easy to see why a man would feel that way. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, he said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So to whom is it extended to this wonderful invitation? I submit to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that the invitation is for everyone. For the Bible says that all are sinners. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, he said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then in verse 10 of Romans 3, Paul said, As it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. And because there is none righteous, no, not one, all are in bondage to sin and its heavy burden. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse, and verse 34, he said, Verily I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Oh, what a wonderful invitation extended to those, anyone that is away from God. That's what we need to understand this morning. Everyone that is away from God, Jesus has given the invitation that you are going to have comfort, that you are going to have rest, that you are going to have all of those wonderful blessings. The condition is you have to come to him. That tells me that if a person is going to reject the teachings of the gospel, is going to reject Jesus and all that Jesus said, they are not going to have what Jesus promised because there is conditions to his promise. That is, we must come to him. I think it's important, though, at this part of our lesson that we understand a very important concept about sin. Understand this, that a person is not born into sin. Contrary with what some would believe, that a person is born into sin with a depraved soul and guilty of the sin of Father Adam that was done in the garden so long ago, understand this, little children are not burdened in sin. If you look out across our audience this morning and you see all of these wonderful little children, you understand this, Jesus loves them, they're precious in his sight, they're priceless in his sight, they are wonderful and they are innocent. You remember in Matthew the 18th chapter, Jesus made that clear point. When he said, for those that would try to keep little children coming to Jesus, Jesus says, oh no, you permit little children to come to me, and you forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. 
Yes, indeed, a person that is going to become as a little child being born again, as we mentioned last night, which is being born of water and the Spirit, that's the little child Jesus is talking about. Oh, little children are wonderful and precious in the eyes of the Almighty God. You know, uh, there's going to come a time when children, though, come to the realization, when they're old enough to realize that the life that they're living is sinful. If you pardon the personal example, my children, all of you know them, they only know right from wrong because of what they've been told by Tina or myself or anyone else in their life that is an authority figure. That's why they know what's right and what's wrong. They do not know how to decipher or go through what really is right and what really is wrong. They do things or do not do things for fear of punishment. They understand that if there's a consequence, they don't want that consequence, so what are they going to do? They're going to obey what they're told, but they're not old enough to make the wise decisions and choices of moral issues and all of the things that would be considered sin. They're little fellas, all the little kids, and they're innocent because they don't know that. Someday, though, they'll come to the realization if they live long enough and before, if the Lord does not come back and put an end to this old world, they're going to have to stand and be accountable and they're going to have to come to the realization, I am lost in the condition that I'm in. When a person can understand that and they're old enough to decipher that, then they know I can look to the scriptures and find out just exactly what am I supposed to do with my condition. Notice though that the Bible teaches in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 that the soul that sinneth it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. I read that verse of scripture for your hearing this morning because I want to paint a picture to you about a sinner because the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 paints a picture about a sinner. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But look at the very next verse. Look at verse 21 because there's a ray of hope for that sinner. Notice what a person has to do now. In verse 21, there are three conditions to get you out of that horrible state. Three conditions to keep you from dying spiritually. Number one, in verse 21 it says, but if the wicked, number one, will turn from all his sins that he hath committed. That's number one. That tells me that if a person is not willing to repent and turn from all of those sins that are in their life that they have committed, they are not going to have rest. They will not be relieved from the horrible condition that sin has burdened them with. But he will not die if he does these three things. Turns from all his sins that he hath committed. Secondly, keeps all my statutes. Yes, indeed, the child of God has rules and regulations and commandments he must obey. Not only do you turn from all your sins that you've committed, but you keep all of his statutes. Thirdly, though, now you have a responsibility to do something. 
You know, there is a difference between works that are works of merit. It is true that I cannot perform enough acts of works that are works of merit to stand before my maker in that last and final day and catalog the things that I have done in that I have earned a spot into heaven. No, there's not enough works of merit that I can do in my life in order to do that. But the Bible clearly tells me this. There are works of obedience that I must do in order to go to heaven. Ezekiel 18 and 21, you've got to turn from the sins you've committed. You've got to keep all my statutes, and here it comes. You have to do all that is right and lawful. If you do all three of those things, it says he shall surely live, he shall not die. You know, a person cannot blame someone else for his sins. I know we live in a society of blame. Don't we, don't we live in such a society? We want to blame our teacher. We want to blame our principal. We want to blame our father, our mother, our sister, our brother. We even want to blame society for the reason that we are what we are. But I'll tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I realize there are evil influences in the world. You know how I feel about that. But I'll tell you this, it won't do a man any good with reference to his sin. Because you cannot stand before your maker in the judgment seat of Christ one day and catalog all the reasons why you are what you are. All we know is this. A person has to turn from all those sinful ways and he's going to be accountable and responsible. Every one of us, one by one, will be judged according to the things that we have done. Jesus offers us rest also in this life. He offers us rest, a present rest in Jesus Christ because there is rest in hope. In Romans chapter 5 and beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know, the reason that we have hope is because of our faith. Faith is something that the child of God needs to hold on to and latch on to and never turn loose of. You know, Paul dealt with that very thing. You remember? You remember when he talked to a young evangelist? You remember when he spoke to him in that letter in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 19? He told Timothy, holding faith and a good conscience. That's how you're going to get through this life. A child of God has freedom and hope in Jesus Christ. He has rest in that. And so, in order to get through the trials and burdens of this life, he has to do something. Paul says what you're going to do, you're going to hold your faith. Paul said this, many have not done that, and they have become shipwrecked. You've heard me say this before, and it's so true. The steering apparatus of a man's soul is his faith. A ship's captain can have a ship and hold on to that steering apparatus. He can hold on for with all of his might. And when he goes through the merciless waves and tempestuous seas that beat against his ship, if he'll hang on to that steering apparatus, he's got a chance to get through. But if he turns loose, he subjects his ship to the wreckage that's coming. Paul said, 
That's what he wanted us to understand. That's the connection. Paul said, that's what you do if you let go of your faith. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that because there's hope in that. I can't imagine living my life without faith. Yes, indeed, there is rest in that. But secondly, there's a present rest in this life in Jesus Christ because there's a rest from the bondage of sin. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, you remember that the Apostle Paul said, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Read that to read this, verse 18. It says, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. There's blessings and hope in this life in Christ. But like Paul said, though, the greatest rest is coming. Remember what Paul said? If the only hope that we had in Jesus Christ was in this life, he said, we are of all men most miserable. Can you imagine if this is it? If this is as good as it gets? If this life is all that we have a hope in, it gets better. Notice the blessings of being in Jesus when we are Christians. We find that there's rest after this life. Hear the words of Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, where the Bible says, There remaineth therefore, notice, a rest for whom? It says, There remaineth a rest for the people of God. If I were to go out today, this afternoon, in between services, and I would go from one person to the next that are out in the world today, anybody that I would come across or come in contact with, and if I would ask them this question, if I would say, now this is provided that this person at least understands the concept of heaven and the concept of hell. Even if that person doesn't know a whole lot about it, if a person even understands the concept of heaven and the concept of hell, if I were to ask that person, and you understand that concept, where would you rather go? I would imagine that all would say, well, I'd rather go to heaven because it surely beats the alternative of hell. And then if I were to ask that same person, but do you think you're going? I would imagine most would say, well, sure. I think so. I think I'd be going. You know what Hebrews 4 said? There remaineth a rest for the people of God. There's no rest for people that are not of God. Notice, though, as it says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Notice, here's another condition. He's speaking to Christians. Understand this was written to the Hebrew brethren, these Jews that were converted to Christianity. He's speaking to Christians in this letter. And he says, there's a rest for the people of God that do what? Labor to enter in to this rest. There's a condition there, isn't it? That tells me if I once become a child of God, but I backslide and I go to the ways of the world. It tells me this. I believe that the Hebrew writer happens to be the Apostle Paul. 
And in that letter, he said, there's a rest for the people of God. He says, as a result of that promise, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. So what? So you don't end up in the same state as those that have unbelief. Oh, even the child of God who backslides can find himself in a place where the unbeliever is to go. To get rest, you have to be a pe the people of God and labor to enter in. Another thing, though, we have rest from all of our outward afflictions. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, the Bible says these wonderful words, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Isn't that wonderful? That there's coming a day when you will never again stand over a newly made grave of one that you dearly love. There's going to come a day in the future when you will never again stand at the sickbed of a loved one. There's going to come a day when there'll be no sick beds, there'll be no convalescent hospitals. There'll be none of those things that we labor and trouble in in this life. There's coming a day when all of our outward afflictions in the flesh will no longer be an issue. We are promised that in this rest we're going to have a new body and that body is going to be like Christ. You know what else? The Bible also says the righteous shall be righteous still. There'll be no sin over there either. What a wonderful place that the Bible pictures. There'll be a rest from all of our labors also. Revelation 14 and 13, the Bible says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. There'll come a day when we have a rest from the temptations of the devil. There's a rest coming for those that are going to be no longer burdened by the wickedness and meanness and unkindness of others. I know folks are sometimes unkind in the world. I know that. Let us never be guilty of that. I know that, that there are folks that are just mean. That's stating the obvious, I think. But there's coming a day when no one will ever do that again to the people of God who are laboring to get there. There's going to be a rest from all sin and unrighteousness as well. These are wonderful blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question now. What does it mean to come to Christ? I'll tell you something, that ought to be in the forefront of our thinking. When we look that there are conditions to get there, there's conditions upon that rest. Jesus made the promise, Jesus gave the invitation, Jesus gave the conditions. That tells me this. I want to find out just every single thing that I must do. Because I'll tell you something. If you're like me, you want to go there too. What does it mean to come to Christ? It means following His teachings. Isn't that reasonable for us to understand and accept? That if it's His invitation, it is His rules, it is His commandments, it is His conditions. Notice when Jesus gave this great invitation in verse 29 of Matthew 11 from our text, we find that in coming to Christ, 
Jesus says we must learn of him. Hear also the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6 and beginning in verse 46, where Jesus said this, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built his house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built his house upon the earth against which the stream did vehemently, uh, beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. We need to learn of him. We need to learn of his teachings. We need to obey his terms. Number one, how does that work? The Apostle Paul said in meeting the terms that are in God's plan, in Romans chapter 10, in verse number 10, he said, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto or up to salvation. Remember this. I want to know just exactly what I must do to be into Christ. Because it is those that we find there's blessings only found in Christ. Notice verses 11 and 12 from Romans chapter 10, where Paul said, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over who? It said the same Lord is rich unto all that do what? That call upon his name. Let's continue the very next verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Notice the Bible says, and the Bible teaches us this, that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It's not foolish in the eyes of God, and it's certainly not foolish to the children of God. It is foolish to all those that are the wise men of the day. After all, there are other things and other proofs but God chose the foolish things of the world, and he chose the things that were foolish to the world to save them that believe. Paul said you have to preach the gospel. There's a preacher preaching the word of God. Upon that preaching, one is hearing that word. He's believing on that with all of his heart that Jesus Christ is whom he says he is. Paul said you believe unto righteousness or up to righteousness, the Bible also says that we need to uh, repent of our sins. We need to make a change in our life. And finally, we confess the name of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. These are the final things that are up to or unto a man's salvation. What else did Paul say? you got to call on the name of the Lord. All you have to do is call on the name on the Lord. The question is this. How do you do that? We know this, it is not when you hear, because that happens before you believe. It's not when you believe, because that also happens before you call. 
It is not when you repent, because the Bible says that we repent unto life. We repent unto or up to righteousness. Repentance is a direct prerequisite for a man's salvation. It is the turning or changing of a man's heart. We know it is not, calling on the name of the Lord is not simple verbiage, confessing Jesus as Lord or even the Son of God. Because we find Paul said, you do that before you call. I want to know what it is then that I have to do to call. All of these things are before I call on the name of the Lord. And Paul said, I have to do that in order to be saved. Hear the very simple language that puts one into Christ. First of all, let me just say this. I'll give you the scriptures now of what I just quoted. Romans 10 and 10, man believes unto or up to righteousness. Acts 11 and 18, man repents unto or up to salvation. Romans 10, 10, man confesses unto or up to salvation. But Galatians 3.27 says this. Even though all these are unto. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. Paul said for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. You want to be in Christ? Another translation says when you're baptized into Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. You put him on. When you do that, you are in him. A person is not in him until he's baptized, washing away his sins, baptized into the body of Christ. There are many things I'd like to talk about today. I don't have time. I want to tell you this, though. I'll give you just a little example of where one had to call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved. We have read and quoted from many passages of Scripture from the great Apostle Paul, and you got to understand this was the chosen vessel of Jesus Christ to bear his name before the Gentiles. And you remember, as the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, he says to Ananias, he said, I am going to show this man how many great things he will suffer for my name's sake. This was a chosen vessel of the Lord. This was a man who was destined to be an apostle. This man was one who wrote by divine inspiration over two-thirds of the New Testament scriptures. We have read from him today. We have quoted from him today. But there was a time when he was not such a good fellow. There was a time when he was a sinner. You remember what he was doing? He was binding all those that call on the name of the Lord. All those that would be Christians, all of those were punished at the hand of the hired gun of the Sanhedrin being Saul of Tarsus, which was his name before it was changed to Paul. One day he's on that Damascus road for the purpose of doing just that. He's going into Damascus to go and bring all those together that would call upon the name of the Lord and punish them. And about that time, Jesus appears to him as a great light shining round about him. And the Bible says it stopped him dead in his tracks and it blinded him on that road, on that path that day. And a voice from heaven, I've tried to picture in my mind's eye how that must have been to this Saul of Tarsus so long ago. But a booming voice from heaven spoke down directly to Saul of Tarsus and said, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? 
You know what he says? Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Let me ask you something. His very next words were these. Lord, what will you have me to do? Do you think when he responded in such a fashion he believed in Jesus? Oh, surely he did. Surely he believed in Jesus. You know what else he did? He accepted him as the Savior. He accepted him for all that he was. He was willing to confess his name there, right there, and acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior. But he says, Lord, what will thou have me to do? You know what Jesus said? You're going to go now. You're going to go into Damascus. And by the way, he's still blind. He said, it's going to be told thee what thou must do. In other words, somebody's going to come in, a preacher's going to come in, and he's going to tell him words that he must do in order that he will be saved from the horrible fate that he's in and that we talked about being the burden of sin this morning. You know what he does? He prays for three days. You imagine he was sorry? You imagine that he spent an awful long time in that period of three days repenting? You reckon he was awful sorry for what he had done? You imagine that he had a change of heart? Oh, he surely had a change of heart. All of a sudden, though, as Jesus promised, a man is on the way. And this man named Ananias came in. When he came in, he says, and now why tarriest thou? Or in other words, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Here it is, calling on the name of the Lord. These are steps that lead us up to calling on the name of the Lord. Paul said, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. What happened? This was the man. He could speak from that. From uh, Obviously, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but this happened to him personally. Ananias says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Let me say one more thing about that. If a man like Paul could have Jesus come to him personally, blind him, have him feel as sorry as he can be, be a chosen vessel of the Lord, be a man that was going to be one that was going to write over two-thirds of the New Testament. This man was supposed to bear the name of Jesus to the Gentiles and all of that. If he couldn't pray his sins away for three days straight, why does a man today think in a one-little-sentence prayer he can have his sins washed away? Ladies and gentlemen, he cannot. His sins are washed away when he is baptized into Christ. He rises to walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6. When he does, he fulfills what Jesus said to Nicodemus so long ago that a man must be born again when he's born of water and of the Spirit. Finally, this morning, one more thing before I close. Final rest is conditioned upon our faithfulness unto death. Final rest is conditioned on those things. Jesus talked about that very thing in so many parables. We must hold on. We must make it to the end. We need to encourage one another not to fall. 
If our brother or our sister falls, we need to reach down and grab them and do the best we can to take them with us. It's serious business, folks. We need to fight for those that are having a hard time fighting for themselves. We need to try to encourage them to stay in the truth and the, and the straight and narrow way because they want life. They really do. We need to have love and compassion in our heart for those, but never support the sin. Reach down. Encourage those that have fallen. Don't leave them alone. You bug them to death. If they've backslidden, you call them on the phone. I'm telling you, until they throw you out physically, you keep going to see them. They want to go to heaven. And if they're having trouble now, you encourage them to stay straight. You encourage yourself to do that. You surround yourself with people that are going to help you get to heaven. You turn your back on the evil influences of the world so that you can go to heaven one day. In conclusion, a man wrote this about salvation. He said, To every man there openeth a way and ways and a way. And some men climb the highway and some men grope below. And in between on the misty flats, the rest drift to and fro. To every man there openeth a highway in the low, and every man decideth which way his soul shall go. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.